Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the Double Edge Double Bill. Tonight's features will fill the blind spots of 2018 with a venomous punch. Adam Thomas and Thomas Noriani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin! I am Thomas Mariani. And we are Adam Thomas. We aren't the only two people here. We're the regular co-hosts of Devil Edge Devil Bill, but we have a guest on... For the evening, it's Mr. Jonathan Habden-McHale, who you might recognize from our Predator episode that we did a few months ago. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, but this vegan burger kind of sucks. This ain't the right way, man. It's not the quick way! <laughs> Just choke it down with some green juice of some kind, you'll be fine with it. Ugh. Kale. I mean, in case you couldn't tell from... Uh, our intro and all this other stuff. Uh, we're doing an episode in honor of... Um, it's New Year's Day when we're releasing this. So first of all, Happy New Year, everybody. Yay! Uh, it's been a long decade. Yeah, hasn't this year felt yeah. like pretty much like a decade? Yes. <laughs> Most years you're like, wow, that went by so fast. And it's like, oh, fuck, 2018's still going? Why? <laughs> Why is this happening? Well, we all hope 2019's better for not just... Uh, us, but all of you out there, of course, listening. And uh, we're still going to celebrate, though, that even though 2018 was pretty rocky in most respects, it was a pretty good film year overall, I'd say. I would say people kind of dog on certain aspects of film, like certain blockbusters weren't so great near the end, with some exceptions, and certain genres weren't up to par, but overall, it's been good. And I had you on, actually, Jonathan, because uh, I said at the end of our last episode that I had definitely seen a lot of 2018 movies. I would argue you probably have seen more than I have, because you go out to the theater even more than I do. Uh, yeah, it really helped in the first half of the year. Uh, movie Pass was a big boon, but yeah, I'm now touching at 120 right now for 2018 movies, in either in theaters or on Netflix. Yeah, I'm around in the 90s or so, and they, I think uh, Adam has like maybe a handful I'd say you could probably take away a hundred from either of your score. <laughs> Negative twenty. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we're doing a twenty eighteen wrap up episode here, and in honor of that, at the end of our last episode, our spoofs episode, we end up picking uh a good feature, which was blind spotting from my choices, and the bad feature Venom from Adam's Choices, so we'll be going into both of those this evening, and we'll also have some feedback to read, and at the very end of this episode, we will do the picking, which, um, as we kind of mentioned in our intro, uh, we both have picks for our next topic for next episode, well, I have two bad ones, Adam has two good ones, and uh, we'll have Jonathan pick a number between 1 and 10 for both those choices, so stick around to the very end of the episode for that, but let's get into our main feature discussion. First off, we are doing our good feature, which is blind spotting. Blind spotting. It's all about how you can look at something and there can be another thing there you aren't seeing. You are a convicted felon. Nobody is misreading you, Colin. Yeah, I know. Stop! Are you 
You don't feel it like we do. To feel it, it has to be you. Stop pointing that at me. Loaded, bro. Those are for show loaded. Okay. Blind spotting, rated R, in select cities, July twentieth. So, like I said, this is one of my choices, and uh, it is a film that came out in July of twenty eighteen. Uh, stars and is written by Raphael Cassell and David Diggs. Who David Diggs, you might recognize as one in that Hamilton show that all your rich friends probably saw in New York. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, and maybe someone else here on the panel actually saw it. But though I don't believe David Diggs was on when you actually saw Hamilton, right? Oh. No, he was not. He was far gone from that. <laughs> but <laughs> but he's been in stuff like he was on Kimmy Schmidt uh, for a season or two. He played uh, Kimmy Schmidt's love interest for a bit. And he's been on other things. You might recognize the guy. He's been around. Yeah, I recognize him from that um, bike movie that HBO did. You know what I'm talking about with uh, where David Diggs played the young Danny Glover? Was was this the Andy Samberg parody thing? Yeah, David Diggs yes. was the young okay. Andy. Yeah, okay. he's a young daddy. Oh, yeah! Um, and, you know what, by the way, we should probably say, we don't usually talk spoiler warnings or anything, because we usually cover older movies on the show. But we definitely wouldn't instill that for this episode, since they're more recent movies. And uh, I'll say that blind spotting goes into certain ways and directions you wouldn't necessarily anticipate. I agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. <laughs> it, it's, you know, I got a couple things with it, but I, I agree. It, it was not what I expected. Well, you know, I, I want to open the table a bit more for you to keep talking at him, because this wasn't a movie sure. you were pretty much aware of when I brought it up. And uh, I want to get your first impressions. What did you think of Blind Spotting? Uh, you know, I liked it. Yeah, I was only aware of it because I saw, like, a trailer once or twice on, like, a top ten movies you might have missed this year type of deal. Which, you know, all ten of them were movies I missed this year. So, I liked it. I, th- I thought the acting was fantastic. I thought the cinematography was really good. I, the dialogue was great. It's just, I've seen this type of movie several times. Like I was telling my wife after I watched it, if this movie would have came out 10 to 15 years ago, even, this would have been easily one of my favorite movies. If it had came out right around the same time as like, even though they're not really comparable with the kind of art, but like SLC Punk or, you know, a movie of that ilk, then it would have really, really been up there for me. Now it's good. It's just, I've, I've seen it. You guys are probably going to rip me a new one on this one, but I kind of expected that. <laughs> well, uh, Jonathan, why don't you continue this train of thought <laughs> by explaining how Adam's wrong? All right. I honestly feel like there are few movies that go into gentrification and actually talk about systemic racial politics while also making a personal story. Uh, there are movies that even came out this year that people are hailing for, like uh, Black Klansman and uh, Green Book. However, I feel like those movies, they either talk about one aspect of the two things, so as systemic and personal issues, but the main problem is they're both in the past. They talk about past stuff, which a lot of people don't seem to acknowledge, especially with the act of gentrification as we're dealing with reverse white flight as we're getting far more hipsters and just people from Wisconsin going into cities like New York, San Francisco, Oakland, even Austin, Texas. And it's changing things where people who are local are conflicting with that. We don't see stories like this because people kind of prefer thinking of those types of issues are in the past being this whole post-racial world. And I really love the fact that it it focuses on a wigger character and it doesn't make him a joke it actually shows him as a human being right and you're referring to Raphael Cassell's character which we I guess we should do a 
basic plot synopsis for those who might not have seen it, which, as Adam mentioned, might be a lot of you out there. Basically, uh, we follow mainly Colin Hoskins, who's David Diggs' character, who is on the last few days of his probation after he had a whole assault charge, which we find out later on what the circumstances of that were. Um, and he's on probation, he's got just three days left at the start of the movie to finish off his probation, and his best friend is Miles, played by Raphael Cassell, and they both work as movers uh, for this sort of lower-rent company. David Diggs is just kind of trying to live his life, it's very much a slice-of-life movie about living in Oakland. He has to deal with, like, his ex-girlfriend is the main counter girl at this moving place, uh, Val, played by... Uh, Jania Gavankar. Uh, there's also a whole thing where Colin witnesses a police shooting uh, involving Ethan Embry as a police officer that goes on. Um, and it's just Colin's trying to live his life in Oakland. And they talk about stuff like the gentrification, as you mentioned. And I think that's what I really like about this, too, is I would say less like SLC Punk that Adam was mentioning. I would compare it more to the early works of a Spike Lee. There's a lot of, like, do the right thing where she's got to have yeah, it that's, in that's this movie. Yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, it feels a lot more like that, but in, I think, a really good way because it feels like these guys who actually did grow up in Oakland and Berkeley, California, respectively, uh, with David Diggs and Rafael Cassell, who, like I said, wrote the movie, um, it feels very much like they know this environment. I could easily see a lesser screenwriter steering this into more, like, boys from the hood territory or others sort of like, oh, this is what an urban crime thriller has to be as supposed to like no this is just two guys hanging out living their lives just trying to survive and especially in David Diggs's case trying to just like get through his probation so he can just you know move on with his life and do something more even though at the same time it's weighing on him a lot about like can I really move on in the society is it gonna allow me to the opportunity to go somewhere higher than where I'm currently at at the moment, and I agree with Jonathan. I think it covers especially a lot more modern issues about gentrification that I haven't seen in a lot of, like, especially more Oscar-heavy movies that would try to cover the subject. And I think it, it does a really great job of that through just, like, these characters living their lives. It's not preachy in that way. They go into, like, the quick stop kind of place. They're just like, hey, what's this fucking green drink? What's this bullshit? That wasn't around when, like, we were kids. That's not what this is. And there's sort of, like, that nostalgia that's there which at the same time is also, especially for Raphael Cassell, kind of his undoing as things going along and his like negative impulses really come out. Oh, I definitely agree. It's even here in the Sacramento area. Like you could just go to a place and you just start seeing weird, like either craft brewery uh, stores or even just restaurants serving boxed water. Like it's those little things that show that there's a place that changes over time. I was telling Thomas, like, last year when Lady Bird was going on, everyone was all hyped up about that. The whole story was that this girl wants to go out to a metropolis, but there are hipsters walking around in places that used to be predominantly POC neighborhoods in Sacramento alone, and San Francisco and Oakland have been expanded far bigger. Like, in the notes, like, it said that they actually filmed during the summer of 2017 I literally drove through those towns in July 4th weekend to see family, and I saw all the, like, a row of tents by the freeway. Like, that was there intact. They really shot in Oakland. Something that, as Thomas said, you can't really have someone who hasn't lived there or lived nearby can really give that perspective. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying about what both of you are saying about the gentrification issue, and you're right, I haven't seen it much done on film. I mean, I live close to Detroit lived in Detroit for quite a few years growing up. It's there big time, too. I mean, there's a fucking Wahlburgers and an axe-throwing bar down there. It's pretty crazy. But 
again, like I said at the at the top of the show, I do really like this movie, and I do like Jonathan brought up about Miles' character. Yes, he's a white guy who talks with a you know a black accent and dresses a hip hop style and all that stuff, but. I like that there's even a line of dialogue where he explains that it's dangerous for him to even act like this. Like, he feels out of place even from both sides when him and David Diggs are arguing in the parking lot after the party. You know, he's like, you know, you think it's easy for you? What about me? I don't fit in down here, blah, 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 blah. David Diggs tell him, like, yeah, but that's the problem. You are the problem down here, but everyone's going to look at me and think it's me. I think it's a very smartly written movie. I think it's very poignant. It does make a lot of good points, and it's not really in your face at all. Because the fact of the matter, what sparks the whole chain of events, you know, just turn on the news. It happens every day almost, and it's a shame. But I just still can tell with the man, the fucking acting in this movie. God, even from Ethan Embry and his little scene. You could tell the source material, they took pride in it. They were proud of what they wrote, and they put it on screen. They definitely had something to say, and, and I do feel they accomplished what they set out to do. If there was one thing I really enjoy about uh, blind spotting is the lighting. Like, in the streets, the the color of the street lamps highlights all of the characters that matter. You have this warmth and feel of being in a city, which in a lot of other urban settings in film are always staged in the same almost white LED overcast lights that you expect on a set. Even in the scenes like The Party, like, it has this blue that just that shines through and you actually uh, feel like the awkwardness of these two natives dealing with all these transplants, as they call them, hanging out, eating goat cheese and vegan burgers. And Listening eat. to fake Ed Sheeran when they walked in. That was so yeah, funny. It's great. But <laughs> it, it feels real because just with the lighting alone, like it actually feels like a place rather than a set. Yeah, we haven't credited the director as Carlos Lopez Estrada, and I haven't seen his other films, but I, I do really agree that I think it's really well lit, and also it, it's filmed so personally in a way that I, I've seen some people criticize, like, oh, this feels more like a play, and I would argue that his direction bounties about what could just be a play. This could be done on the stage pretty easily, but I think he makes it cinematic with a lot of, like, the montages and the lighting, as Jonathan mentioned, I think, make it far more cinematic than it could have potentially been. Uh, when they try to have... Uh, almost like a Shakespearean moment, like you have Miles trying to sell the hair straighteners or when he's trying to sell the boat, like it gets close up on his face and then it switches off to show as if like a giant audience, like he's projecting to the, into a theatrical audience. I love that fucking barbershop scene, especially yeah, like, true. I don't even like suspense films. Fuck Alfred Hitchcock. Great. That's, that's the thing we haven't mentioned really. Like, this movie covers heavy subject matter, but it's hysterical. That's a, oh. really what I loved about this movie. It's a comedy drama, but it really is like the comedy gets you invested in the character so that the drama really hits hard. Do you know who played the shop owner, Mama Liz? Tisha Campbell, man, from Martin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From Martin and my favorite movie of all time, Little Shop of Horrors. As well. Oh, that's right. Yep. She's yep. one of the like, Greek chorus. Yep. There are other fun people that appear, too, like Wayne Knight. I like his small appearance when they're moving his stuff. He has the two photographs that are framed. It's like, oh, no, we can't have them facing each other. And Raphael <laughs> just, like, turns it around. I love the theming of facing people. Because there was a lot of conversations that you see that are more casual to each other's side. Like, they're not facing each other. Or if one and not actually meet each other's eyes, it's more like they're facing their general direction. But it's never eyes meeting. It's when the serious stuff happens when either the characters are framed like they're facing each other, like Val and Colin in their call, or Miles and Colin when they're actually confronting at that 
warehouse uh, parking spot. Like it's the whole thing of the theme of blind spotting. I don't know if you want to go further into that with the whole vase and the faces, but like it's just beautiful. Well, no, yeah, I mean, I like how the movie introduces terminology, like you're talking about, like the actual term blind spotting, which obviously is a big factor for like all these characters, like as Val explains later on about. Um, well, it's like blind spotting is when you look at something and you immediately see what your brain is programmed to see while missing entirely another aspect of whatever you're looking at, which is, you have a visual example with like the whole, it's two, it's either a vase or two faces. And I do agree. I, I love how they utilize a lot of that stuff and it, how it really affects the characters. It's, it's very pointed, but at the same time, I don't think it makes it any less impactful. I think it's important because blind spot is actually a term that a, f- a lot of people don't know. It's great that it's actually used in this way so people can understand when we talk about stuff like implicit bias, it's not saying that you're constantly in the state of whatever your prejudice is. You don't hate or fear like in a mentally active state. It's it's just deep within your mind and you need it to be pointed out and you have to reprogram your mind to actually see both images. Right. One of the better examples of it even is him walking down the street after their fight with the gun in his pocket, and then, of course, the cop almost stops him and then drives off. I don't know if that's the greatest example, but it's just... I don't know, man. I feel like this didn't connect with me on that major of a level. I just think it was a good movie, but I do understand everything you guys are seeing, and I definitely do think this is one that's going to have to be a rewatch for me. You got to figure I had just got done watching our next feature and then tried to watch this one. So I was kind of like, Oh, our next off. feature takes a lot out of, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get into that in in a moment. Um, but I think what really impacted me with it is it's a lot of like the blind spotting element that we're, we've been talking about. That's something that even you mentioned the, the scene where it's David Diggs and Raphael Cassell arguing with each other in the middle of that, like vacant lot. Honestly, like it brought up a point that I, you know, I, I'm a white person. I never quite considered, which is how, when I bring up the use of the N-word and how Raphael Cassell is called that word, but never stops to think, hey, I should not have somebody call me that because of the implicit meaning of that word. Even if I'm not black, that still was, like, insulting that I'm willing to, like, be called that word. Right, it's something... I never thought of it that way either, man, no, to be I, honest. I didn't either. And um, now, Jonathan, I, I don't know, it, this is not a visual medium. Jonathan is... A black person, I think you can school us on this. Uh, yeah, easily. <laughs> uh, but it's just that we don't have the time to go into deep uh, history of 30-some years of dealing with various versions of it. Because, yeah, going to a liberal college town and just walking down the street and then a dude just says, I just don't want to say it in recording, so I'm just going to say the N-word. But when someone says the N-word to me... And this is a person who lives in a place that people think are all just a hive mind of liberal people. It just really shows that there is that idiocy that people have to think that everyone is cut from the same cloth, which is also the main point of blind spotting. Because this is taking place in Oakland. That's Northern California. Northern California has a very strong population of Trump supporters. Spoilers, guys. This is not like coast to coast pot smoking hippies dancing around under redwoods. Like there's a lot of different people and they have a lot of different feelings and ideas and it's strong. Reagan was our governor. <laughs> but that's very clear, especially I like the fact that a main reason why they also wanted to depict Oakland and this like area is because in most 
places where you see like Oakland or like a Northern California area, it's like Full House. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, definitely. You mean it's not like that? I have uh, to sit okay. you down. <laughs> oh, oh no! All right, Adam. Like I went to an Alamo Draft House in San Francisco, and it's like this nice, clean, awesome, hipstery haven. The entire street is filled with Chinese restaurants, quick stops, that type of whole deal. Like that whole juxtaposition of you have something that is seen as clean and happy and white and is surrounded by various stuff that is just POC. Mm-hmm. It really gives you the perspective that, yeah, San Francisco isn't just rainbows and happiness and urban music, which we'll talk about a certain thing in uh, our next movie. Oh, God. <laughs> but, you know, I did want to bring up something, because you kind of brought up the Shakespearean element of it, Jonathan. We haven't really talked about the movie's use of rap. But they actually kind of seed in throughout the entire movie, like David Diggs will often kind of like freestyle in reference to like something that's going on at the moment. Then there are other times where it does feel like, okay, this is like part of sort of the language of these characters going on. And I've heard some people kind of ruffle against that. Um, I was curious, like, Adam, what did you feel about how they used, like, rap throughout, especially with, like, that climactic moment you were talking about with Ethan Embry? I didn't have a problem with it. It, it, And I think, well, one of the main reasons is because they built it up throughout the movie. It was a slow climb until that climax. Like, you said there'd be certain spots where it'd be freestyling, and occasionally Miles would even join in. It worked for me, especially at the end, because when he was going against Ethan Embry and he's, you know, pointing the gun in his face and he's rapping at him. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it's almost like that's his language and he can use it. It hasn't been taken yet or gentrified to the point of non-existence or being watered down yet. He still has that way of speaking, that language, that tone, those words, those terms he can use. I thought it worked really well. In fact, I, I thought the the climactic scene and the, the whole speech or rap or poem or whatever you want to call it was incredibly impactful. And can I also mention, I did not realize any other time I've seen him besides here, how big of a dude he is. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. true. <laughs> like he is a big guy man he's tall and he's got some friggin muscle on him but, but you don't uh, really realize until that scene because it's the one time he doesn't have like his coat on really yeah like, he's just he's... wearing like a uh, an a shirt a strap yeah. shirt yeah and like, whoa god damn i really love that entire confrontation the use of not only smashing the pictures of two people and then vases and then using the verbal language that he used in his previous freestyles or even just plot points combined together is like one of the best climaxes of a film in the past yeah 10 years seriously i was saying 10 years it some people may just think it's just a guy rapping but what really makes it perfect with this beautiful lyrical poetic flowery language is you just have ethan Embry just say i didn't mean to the obvious refrain that every time someone cries or gives a plea of dissent on anything that happens in our world, you'll have that one guy who most likely is a 40-something balding white man will just say a one-liner that really shows that they don't get it. And that's what makes that ending of blind spotting perfect. You can tell that he has remorse, but at the same time, he doesn't truly understand the impact of what he did. That's what I really love, is that, and the fact that David Diggs is rapping that to him. Like, what I loved about that was, on paper, if you had told me, hey, this movie ends with a guy rapping at a cop and, like, putting him at gunpoint, I would have told you, that sounds fucking stupid. 
But in what, what, the context, what is Cop Rock, <laughs> Cop Rock, the, the the reboot that everyone wanted. Uh, but it, in context, it really does work. I think I agree because there's so much points where like they use the rap and they really build it up to that particular level, that emotional heightened point. And especially, it's a the point where like it's not just also the rap was built up, but also how much he was holding back so much about like that moment of seeing you know that guy come along and get shot by that cop, and then he's just like, nope, I gotta just keep my head down. I'm, almost done with my parole I'm gonna you know be a free man I'm out there I'm gonna fucking move on with my life but he can't help but just like keep that it's festered inside him and this is that moment oh. where it just bursts out and yeah, it was it's almost a... like he was suffering from PTSD oh he was yeah. They, yeah. every single time you would hear the car alarm from the car that was ringing once the guy was shot and all the flashes of red light David Diggs was, was drowned in red light even if the traffic light was green. Like, there was a lot of stuff that really was... They kept ringing the cues back and forth. Even the dream sequence where yes. he was chained up, like, it's all there. Like, keeps building. That's what makes that ending confrontation so beautiful. That's why I feel like it's a such well-crafted film, not just with its acting, but with its direction. Even its sound design. Like, I was just watching it on a standard television with no uh, home theater setup. The mixing of... Not only just the music, but also the effects of, like, the alarms, the gunshots. Like, it just felt powerful, and I wonder how it would feel if you even, like, heard, like, surround sound. Or just really good uh, headphones. Like, this is a, these are the type of movies that intrigue me on that kind of aspect, because sound has kind of been a weird thing where we try to award things in, at the end of the year. Like, we give it to, like, war movies or musicals, but we don't look at, like, the, the stuff in between. The best sequence to showcase that, probably my favorite scene of the whole movie, is um, the point where we reveal why he was arrested um, with, um, I, I, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his name, Uttarash uh, Ambudikar comes in as this guy who witnessed the altercation that David Diggs uh, took place in, and he's telling his buddy about it. And I think that's a great use of sound in terms of it's just him pretty much narrating the actual scene that went on. And it's hilarious. It's so fucking funny. The whole way he breaks it down. Um, and especially where he just keeps calling the the white guy who had the flaming drink different white celebrity names. It's like, so then Jason Biggs comes out and he's talking like this. And how they don't have the sound in there at all, really. And then they cut to the more dramatic version of it. And it's, like, very muted, and you don't hear a lot except for, like, the rustling that's going on and shit like that. I think that's a great example of when they know when to use sound and when not to. And plus, it's just, it's such a great example of, like, how the movie gets you with that comedic angle and then really brutally hits you. It's like, no, this shit really happened, and it really fucked up this guy's life. It kind of puts in perspective all those Louise narrations in another Bay Area movie, the Ant-Man films. Both I was just going to say, I got a very, very Ant-Man vibe off that. I mean, not that either of them did them better. I mean, they are completely different, but I definitely was reminded of that for sure. Nor first. Yeah, no, mo- definitely It's, it's just most famous. That's all. Right. I love it because, it, as, as Thomas said, it goes into the comedic retelling, and then we get the end where it is actually the worst thing that has ever happened in Colin's life as Val sees him as a thug. Yeah, this yes. is probably the only time I will refer to a black person as a thug. Yeah, because it's, it's 
brutal behavior, and it's it's, it's, un, it's it feels so much unlike this guy that we've come to know this whole movie. You can tell how much he's changed just by the progression between that flashback, like the way he's acted the whole movie. You can tell there's been like so much from that event that really spearheaded his development as a person, and you can tell it like he's struggling with like I know I've changed, but at the same time I haven't changed enough to actually jump over this hurdle of telling somebody about this brutal event that happened, especially. One of the better visual things as well about the movie, um, the way that they use the him doing his morning routine of running around, and then how they culminate that with the cemetery scene. Oh, that is some heavy stuff. Because as you said earlier, like Colin has been putting his head down, he's been trying to just toe the line to be safe. But none of those people, especially the guy he saw in the beginning of the movie get gunned down by the cops, never even had a chance of a trial. Never went to jail. Never got probation. And never got off probation, but still had the the label of convicted felon because they were killed. It's that powerful. Like even though I'm vocalizing it, people will say like, ah, whatever. But seeing it is striking. It is one of the big uh, shots of the year that I could think of. Like that stuck with me it, even to now after six months of first seeing the movie. Well, um, we, we got into some heavy shit today. Uh, I think we've all learned something today. Um, so why don't we go ahead and go into our final thoughts about blind spotting? Uh, go ahead, Jonathan. You have the floor as our guest. Go ahead. Yeah, I know I went to dark places, but that's what blind spotting shows. Like, it is a very important movie. It's a very entertaining movie. And unfortunately, I feel like even critics uh, and various guilds are have a blind spot for it. Like, I only saw that David Diggs was nominated just for an Independent Spirit Award, and that's the only award uh, recognition I'm seeing for it. Like, th- this has great direction, writing, acting. Like, this is a beautiful movie that deals with heavy stuff, and I feel like it should be talked about. And it's fun because you have these characters rapping in beautiful, lyrical ways that is reminiscent of Shakespeare. So definitely check it out. It's one ninety nine on Amazon Prime, or actually the Amazon Video as well. Just check it out. Yep, and I love the fact that you're mentioning that. Like, oh, we only got that nomination there. Meanwhile, his Hamilton buddy Lin Manuel Miranda is just like, oh, yeah, I'm in Mary Poppins, and gets like a Golden Globe nomination. Uh, <laughs> uh. But Adam, go ahead. Your final thoughts on Blind Spotting? Um, I definitely think this is a movie that people should see if they if they're looking for something good that they might not have heard of. You know, like a nice surprise film i think this you can't really go wrong with this one i'm like yeah Adam said it's a buck 99 it's great performances great music choices great dialogue shot really well the lighting's beautiful be prepared for a gut punch because you're going to get a gut punch either if you are expecting it or not you're still gonna be like fuck in a couple scenes so i think it's a good movie man i liked it a lot well, at least it'll tenderize the gut a bit with a laugh first. That's what I really dug yeah, that's about true. this movie. Is it, it really it gives you a, a lot of laughs and a lot of endearing stuff to get you invested in the characters that we have here. Um, but then it does have the really brutal gut punches. Like we didn't even mention much about uh, Miles' home life with his son. It's stuff like the, the use of the gun. That's something I have definitely seen before. It's one of those scenes where it's like that's that's not unfamiliar. But then later on, when that little kid is, like, messing around with David Diggs, and he says, like, hey, you gotta fucking stop it. I'm not in the mood for you to, like, kid around with me. And he says, don't shoot, don't shoot. And it's like, oh, you've been practicing that. It's like, oh, fuck. That's just, that's part of just fucking daily life now. That, that's the sad mm-hmm. thing, is that kids have to 
be told about this, especially, you know, quite frankly, young, you know, kids of color have to learn to do shit like that. I, like, as, you know, our, our world changes and grows, it often regresses at the same time. And I think uh, this blind spotting is a great example of that, where it shows us from a much more sort of, like, character-focused perspective from all these characters. I, I really fell in love with, like, all these people in this environment. But at the same time, I it, it really it made me think about just things I never thought of, like, especially, like, we mentioned, that whole conversation in that back alley. I think is a great example of how the movie has endeared you so much to these characters that when you have to stop and realize, like, oh, shit, this guy who I was laughing about, having fun with, like, how he has the same tattoo as the hipster dude who has the party, which I love that bit, is doing fucked up shit and putting his friend at risk. And he hasn't even thought of, like, the the cultural way that he doesn't care about the use of, you know, one of the ugliest words in the English language. And I love how all that's conveyed in this movie. It is one of my favorites. It's not my favorite movie of the year, but it's in, like, a top three, five angle around there. It's going to be one that, when I eventually do a best of list, which will be later in January, because I got do a bit more ketchup, it will definitely be there. And it's one I, like my compatriots mentioned here, well worth watching. Not like it's super long either. It was 97 minutes or something like that? Yeah, it's also pretty short. Yeah, it's, yeah it is short. Pretty, yeah. Unfortunately, I probably won't even put it in my top 10 because there are a lot of great movies. It is definitely my in my top 20. It will stay there because there's a lot of great stuff that you should check out. Like, not just uh, from uh, directors of color. There's a lot of good stuff this year. That's that's all I'll say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, <laughs> to transition from that, uh, let's talk about the uh, other side of this coin, which is the 2018 Marvel adaptation, Venom. Or as I like to call it, Wig. <laughs> My favorite uh... alternate title. We found something. Carlton Drake believes that the union between human and symbiote is the key to our evolution. I'm feeling really sick. I'm hearing a voice. If you're going to stay, you will only hurt bad people. The way I see it, we can do whatever we want. Do we have a deal? We are Venom. So Venom, as I mentioned, it's an adaptation of the Marvel Comics character Venom, um, who you mostly know is like, hey, isn't he like the big black version of like Spider-Man, like his reverse, his uh, sort of evil version? And it's like, yeah, but uh, the problem is that Sony Pictures did this without the collaboration of Marvel, and they're like, no, we we got Tom Holland doing Spider-Man shit, we don't want you to fucking put him in this movie. So they're like, okay... Let's just try and do a movie about Eddie Brock, as played by Tom Hardy here. Uh, and basically, the the premise of this movie is that uh, Eddie Brock is an uh, investigative reporter who ends up getting sacked because he tries to bring down this Elon Musk-type inventor dude who gets his girlfriend fired, Michelle Williams, uh, from her lawyer job. And a few months later, he comes across the Venom symbiote um, in this secret lab that he tries to break into with the help of... Scientist Jenny Slate, because perfect uh-huh. casting, right. um, <laughs> and uh, he is taken over by the symbiote, which is um, also voiced by Tom Hardy, that adopts the name of Venom, and so the two of them basically have a symbiotic relationship, uh, where you know one basically gets the Venom creature close enough to feed and all this other stuff, and that's the I think the most of a plot synopsis you can do, because. Uh, I think a problem with Venom is that it's, like, ten different movies in one movie. 
Uh-huh. Oh, boy. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> well, go ahead. Take the floor, Adam, with your okay. first thoughts. Well, I do think there is some fun to be had in this movie, especially when it's just Tom Hardy and the symbiote talking to each other or whatever. You know, even some of the lines I did get a chuckle out of. And Tom Hardy, for, you know, everything that this movie is, is trying at least somewhat with physical you know, movement and stuff. There's certain characters in this movie that have, they shouldn't even be in fucking, there's no point. Jenny Slate, one of them. They do nothing with her. They just throw her in that room and they're like, did she dead? I have no idea. Michelle Williams, complete waste. No need. And her hair, uh, it's just like, <laughs> what the fuck was going on with that hair? I thought Riz Ahmed was, you know, he was fine in it. Oh, I disagree. <laughs> I'm saying this, as far as, okay, let's put it this way. The first half that he was in, I, I liked him. The second half, especially once he got mustache trolling evil even more, I'm like, okay, this is just, he has no emotion. Rizzo during the first half is one of my favorite bad moments of the movie. He comes across a tour of like kids exploring like his yeah. like Elon Musk factory, whatever the fuck. This little girl is just like, I have a question. And all the kids are like, oh, don't ask a question, boo. And he's like, hey, now we can't silence people that question things because you know what you and me little girl we question things and i implore you to ask a question oh wait i have to leave never mind your question goodbye everybody <laughs> you know, that's that was her whole point jenny slate was there to answer the little girl's question which, which never got never answered <laughs> yeah I, it's just i never liked the character for the most part either i i did read enough of it and i definitely remember from like the cartoon and stuff like that i just I just find it to be a boring character to begin with. So when they were talking about making a full film of this, it's like, you know, just what, why? And no mention of Spider-Man. Get the fuck out of here with this. It's just a misfire. What do you mean, Adam? They had Jameson as an astronaut. See? Oh, wink, wink. And Eddie was ran out of New York. Don't you like references instead of character? <laughs> Well, yeah, but I can tell you love the movie, so why don't you yeah, go right. to your first thoughts? Okay, all right, I, I, I'll be fair. I don't hate Venom as much as the people who hate Venom because this movie is just a composite of all of the early 2000s movie tropes that plagued superhero movies until The Dark Knight and, and Iron Man cleansed everyone's palates into actually liking good superhero movies. Like, I can't hated as much as I hated a Spider-Man 3 because this is just a relic. There are other good movies around here, but this is still not good because this this still was rewarded by so much money worldwide. Oh, ridiculous. It, it's yeah. the fifth highest grossing film of 2018 worldwide. <laughs> this, yeah, it, this movie made almost a billion dollars. That's the problem. This, <laughs> this movie is so dull. Like It has a montage of Eddie Brock going around San Francisco checking out pride parades and people protesting and all this stuff to a rap song. The one thing that David Diggs pointed out why he made the montage in Oakland with an operatic song because it's so played out that black music is just urban, therefore, that's all you need. You see Eddie Brock going on cable cars. It's everything that Blind Spotting was pointing out in the cinematic language that is so wrong. I would say you could have combined Jenny Slate and Michelle Williams into one character. I agree. Or just had the fucking doctor character who does more than either of those two just be his buddy. 
the guy from Veep, who really is weird because, like, he is dating Michelle Williams, but yeah, he has so but... much vested interest in, like, helping Eddie out the whole You're time. Right, it's that's like... what I'm saying. It would have worked more with him as, like, his friend or something. <laughs> or somebody he worked with before. Like I said, you don't need a love interest in every fucking movie. You don't. Yeah, that's what the MCU pointed out. Like, right. honestly, yeah, people kind of talk shit about certain uh, love interests in the more recent MCU movies. At least they do stuff. Hey, at, I'd argue Thor Ragnarok doesn't really have a love interest. I was going to defend uh, Jane from the previous Thor movies because she was a scientist that had an active role in the movies instead of just a Venom caddy. Well, we, let, let, let's save that. I definitely want to go into yeah. that. That's one of yeah. the more interesting moments. That's the thing is, when I first watched this movie, I, I still shared this main thing that like keeps me from loathing it, which is I was never bored during Venom. Venom is consistently at least engaging on a why are we making this decision level where like every single time they switch genres or focus on some really weird subplot. I'm not sure why they did. It's fascinating to watch. It is like watching a fucking train wreck. And, but it's like, imagine a train where like every single car on the train is like a completely different model and make and design and style. (laughs) And it just all is meshing together into one massive, like boulder of metal. That's pretty much Venom. And that's fascinating. It's not good. I watched, five movies from this year over the last five days just to bone up a little bit and this was not the worst one out of the five so i can at least say that right and i can see why it would be somewhat successful not fifth highest grossing movie of the fucking year no, that's successful insane. no but I, I could see why like audiences might gravitate toward because it, it is like despite well i agree with jonathan that some of it is covering like the sort of early aughts superhero movie structure that's just like one tenth of the movie <laughs> I'm so tired of the fucking trope that they even follow at the end of this movie that they did, what, in Iron Man 1 and 2, they did it in Black Panther, they do it in a lot of these movies where it's like, just have a CGI super suit fight where they look almost identical. Oh, okay, I will defend the Black Panther fight at the end. Well, there's a reason for it, okay, I'll give you that. the The opponents are talking while fighting they're actually conflicting ideals where's the conflict other than venom doesn't want to be bullied around by the other symbiotes right well oh, god. okay here's this one this one's black this one make him dark gray and a little bit more muscle <laughs> oh. and have him fight you're referring to venom versus riot who is the riot rhythm yeah. which what? another thing just like taken from 90s comics and Tom McFarlane's like what's another name for a symbiote besides venom riot yeah, yeah. There's Toxin, Poison, Scream. Lasher. Smasher, Dasher. <laughs> Donner, Vixen, the best. I-, I love the fact, too, that the lead-up of that fight is probably the most baffling scene of the movie, where after, as you mentioned, Michelle Williams... After, okay, that's the thing. There's so much like a weird connecting chain to this of like Michelle Williams possesses the Venom symbiote after having a stare down with a dog in the hospital, which I love that uh, shot. It's so fucking stupid. It's a fucking Sharpay or whatever it's the a hell it is. Who has the <laughs> Venom symbiote inside? She gets possessed by the Venom suit and has a weird like female Venom symbiote. She Venom. She Venom, right? Which is, I believe, a character in the comics as well. Yeah, it is. And she 
kisses Tom Hardy so the Venom symbiote can go back on to him. And then the Venom symbiote is like, oh, hey, uh, by the way, uh, through being like your weird Cyrano de Bergerac earlier, where I told you how to not be a dick to your girlfriend, um, I was a loser too in my home planet, and I learned that I want to save Earth now, Eddie. <laughs> what? What is Riot's whole, like, plan? I gotta kill him. No, leave him here. Why does he want Venom? What does it matter? They never yeah. explain it. At all, there's no point to him wanting to put Venom on the sh- either sh- on the ship with him at one point, and then wanting to kill him for what? Like to bring him back to his home planet so he can wedgie him and put him inside Venom lockers and all that other shit because he's a loser right. on right, that exactly. planet. Ooh, there's there's so many stuff like just going through the minutia of every single plot point, like the Musk shuttle on a recon mission to I don't know Mars, and then just <laughs> finds a comet. The European Space Agency took two years for their probe to land on a comet. Which isn't the first, like, weird part of the movie where it becomes, like, a sci-fi horror movie. Horror, yeah. Right, yeah, where, like, this woman gets, like, possessed and by the Venom symbiote after, like, she's a paramedic. This woman apparently probably walked for, let's say, days and is already decrepit. So, Riot possesses the old woman who is... It was just leaning in onto her walking cane and stays with her for six months. Well, well I think that the thing was like she would as a compatible host. I mean, of course, it just so happens that fake Elon Musk is a perfect host, but. Well, so know. is Michelle Williams. Right, but, and a dog. Yeah. But no, the biggest problem is that I have with that is Eddie was like the best host for Venom. He was an okay guy that got sick really quickly. But this old woman who was basically a foot in the grave is completely fine with riot and can last for six months maybe you should have done the six month time skip before the paramedic possessed the old woman i mean i, like, I guess like my thing is honestly all the stuff we're talking about with like sort of the position the horror angle of it i wish they kind of leaned on more because that's the most interesting like, stuff to me is when it's like a horror almost comedy where eddie brock is possessed by venom symbiote i'm like you know what this could have been like the actual dark version of the mask from the comics where uh-huh. you do just sort of like this weird zany horror movie and you have Eddie, because that's what I feel Tom Hardy's playing is he's playing it like a Jim Carrey to style performance, basically in this movie. He yeah, goes for it. It just, it's so tonally all over the goddamn place. <laughs> yeah. You'd have one scene of him just uh, eating garbage and then he's just jumping all around the bistro and landing in the lobster tub just to, chill out that was something that tom hardy thought of like the day before they were filming just looking at the location he's like hey how about i jump into the lobster tank and eat a lobster and reuben fleischer the director was just like you know what tom wants to do it i love this improvisation let's do it and so they had to like scrounge up to make like a fake lobster in 24 hours (laughs) before they filmed that scene and honestly it works because that's like probably the best scene of the movie where it's like liar liar (laughs) but she didn't take long to shack up with that doctor either it was six months. That's not that long. They were engaged. Yeah, it's dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. given the fact that it happens within, I don't know, the first 12 minutes of the fucking movie that their yeah. whole relationship falls apart. <laughs> yeah. And then I want to address it, and I feel I have to. The stinger. I don't know if we want to get into it quite yet. That's the, that's the dessert you save for the end of the meal. That's the... <laughs> Okay. But... 
but I, I do want to get back to we mentioned that Tom Hardy and Venom. It's probably the best part of the movie. I I would I think the effects work on Venom is actually pretty well done. It looks like Venom, and also I do like how it like slinks around. Like there's the whole scene where he confronts Hardy about like I'm gonna make you do whatever the fuck I want. You're along for this ride. Wish we had way more of just that interaction because Tom Hardy playing off of himself is honestly really fun to mm-hmm. watch. I agree. It's reminiscent of the two fastbenders in Alien Covenant. Also. The only good thing in that uh, sci-fi horror movie. Yeah I'd, yeah, I'd say that was the best part for sure. I, you know, the the CGI to me didn't look great. I got to be honest, especially the whole the motorcycle chase scene was outrageously dumb. <laughs> I mean, it was fucking ridiculous. Where, where he's fucking going up the sidewalk and all the cars are blowing up right next to him, just like what oh, the fuck's yeah. even happening? He's so How... just superimposed. Yeah, obviously, but <laughs> the concerns I have is. Why haven't the police, you know, alerted that or put an APB on not Musk? Because it's clearly his drones blowing up, creating blue fire, like superheated stuff. <laughs> like, you don't even need Detective Gumshoe to connect that Eddie Brock uh, named names that were on files that were sent to his fiance. You don't need Columbo even for this nonsense. Wish we had Columbo. At least there'd have been something a little more entertaining. I, I could see Tom Hardy kind of playing Columbo though. I could see mm-hmm. it. Just one more thing. That's a bad has got the And we should, of course, I'm referencing the Eminem song. Oh God! Oh, to, what to fully God. crystallize this is like an early 2000s. Uh, yep. superhero movie. <laughs> I was expecting like System of a Down or Papa Roach to all of a sudden start playing. This feels like the exact know. opposite. This feels like the the anti-Black Panther soundtrack with just oh, how much yeah. bullshit oh, is on it. Yeah, in every way. <laughs> well, it is anti-blind spotting because we have a white guy in San Francisco being annoyed by his jerky black friend You're dealing with the system. Oh shit, you're right. I didn't even think about that. It is the exact parallel to Blindspot. The Stan Lee dialogue was ridiculous. And, you and take it's... care of her, both of you. What? Well, well clearly he's, he's jumping between universes as the Watcher, and he can obviously see the Venom symbiote because he has X-ray vision, because he's Stan Lee, Marvel God. Yeah, it's 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 pretty sad. This was the last one that he that was released before he passed away in November. That's a shame. But I will say, um, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse is the exact opposite of this movie in like every way, including their Stanley cameo is light years ahead. It's oh, yeah, so great. I love how they did yeah. that. So you jerkwads who uh, watched Venom and dug it and are like, I don't want to watch an animated Spider-Man movie. Go watch Into the Spider-Verse and tell me that Venom was better. Which I love, by the way, that the very post credit singer, even, like, when it's on video now, is that clip from Into the Spider-Verse that is just randomly... I didn't even stick around for that, because I'm like, I'll just see that movie in, like, fucking two months. Of course, we should mention, though, uh, between that and our ending with... By the way, also one of my favorite bad lines of the movie. Um, hey, Eddie, I'm sorry about Venom. <laughs> really? You didn't like... Oh, she doesn't know that we're gonna win her back. I mean, that was also bad. Also, of course, my, my favorite bad bit of dialogue in the whole movie is during the big um, rocket ship explosion where Eddie has to ADR badly. Venom! No! <laughs> as he's fucking falling. <laughs> I was dying in the theater at that, but not as much as at our mid credit stinger. 
which right. was what Adam yeah. was referencing. Girl. You know what, Adam? You're, you're so gung-ho. Why don't you describe this mid credit singer <laughs> for everyone out there who might not have seen All it? All right. So right before the end, Eddie alludes to he gets this big assignment, a big interview. So you see him drive up to a prison. And if you're a comic book fan, you already kind of know where this is headed. He walks in. He's, like, going to meet this serial killer who's even writing, you know, Welcome Eddie and Blood on the Wall. And you see it's Woody Harrelson, which is kind of cool. Woody Harrelson, oh, sweet. He's wearing a fucking clown wig, first of all. I mean, it's ridiculous. It looks like they took the Pennywise wig and gave it a perm. Like... (laughs) Oh, you're you're being nice. Yeah, no, it's like the Walmart, you know, Ronald McDonald or not Ronald, like Burger Clown costume. <laughs> like, yes, Burger Clown. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you know, what? I thought Woody Harrelson did a great job as a Lorfa nanny. I think it was such a great yeah. reveal. <laughs> the sun will come out, Eddie, and it's like be a carnage, like a Samwise Gamgee fan wig. Um, but then, <laughs> when I get out, and I will get out. There's got to be carnage. Oh, no. Because he's playing Cletus Cassidy. <laughs> guys, in case needed that to be spelled out to you. I was holding back laughter in the theater, but that mid credit scene was like, I, I just didn't give a shit. I was fucking laughing while, our, so our, while my audience was so invested in what was going on here. I just couldn't stop fucking laughing at that stupid garbage wig. Woody Harrelson has been wearing wigs in movies for quite a while now. The guy has no fucking hair. I mean, granted, his Hunger Games wig was just about as bad. You can't put a decent wig on this guy with this budget. The money went to blue fire and drones and and motorcycle chases. We're not going to put it in character costumes. Like, Michelle Williams had a fake wig. I know. Why? To to be fair, wig technology has not progressed that much in the last 200 years. It's progressed more than... It's just, it's a problem of, like, it's definitely the wrong wig. Like, you could have easily not made it, like, this... Kyle Broflovsky from South Park sort of fro. Super red. Super red. And just like, you you could have easily just said, even like the, if you did a red version of the Hunger Games wig that he had, sure. Why not? That would have been better. Versus having this, it is, it's so indicative of like everything that's wrong with like the, the sort of teasing of a sequel, and especially like a mid-credit stinger. It feels like it's a parody of one of those fucking Uh mid-credit stingers. And it also is, it's very clear that Ruben Fleischer, who previously directed Zombieland, was like, Hey, Woody, you want me to call you in a favor? I want to cast you maybe as Carnage, if this actually goes anywhere. Sure, why not? And uh, but I just, One I also billion just, dollars later, it's going to happen. <laughs> pro- probably. And I also face off of Tom Hardy versus Woody Harrelson. I don't see how their personalities would clash that much. Not at all. How are they going to introduce the Carnage symbiote? Is it going to be like Venom births Carnage? Or is he going to come on another space rock? Because that could be the conflict. Or it he's already be... got it in him. Or oh. something. I, I think that might be the case. Because you mentioned Jenny Slate earlier, who inexplicably, yeah. like, there's like a real missing where it's like she gets locked in a room with a symbiote and then gets covered by it. And then later on, they're like, hey, this symbiote left. And you see, like, her dead body in, like, the far right-hand corner. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a case of that, like, oh, the it got out of its containment, and now it's inside Cletus Cassidy as he's, like, escaping prison. Like, that's the opening of Venom 2. Is he getting yeah. released from, or he's escaping prison, and then he gets engulfed by this carnage symbiote. Or they put him in the chair, which they don't use anymore, and it doesn't kill him, because he's got the fucking symbiote or some bullshit. <laughs> we put a sponge on top, and it didn't work. <laughs> you know what? No, wait. I got it. They actually don't use that. They do use lethal injection. But the Carnage symbiote is inside of the shot. I'm calling it. 
come oh, fucking twenty twenty one when they do the Venom sequel. That probably Caught. makes the fear. Oh god. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I can believe that. So yeah, prisoners with uh, Carnage symbiotes and Cleus Cassidy's leading them all, and Venom's all. Oh, I don't know what to do. These guys are killing people, but they're they're my family. <laughs> Or some bullshit. Like that. <laughs> it's a big diesel, also. <laughs> but well, you know, he I... is a big hulking bald creature. It's exactly the biggest hulking bald, bald creature. creature of all. But but you know, I, I do want to before we close out with our final thoughts. I did want to ask. So Sony put this as sort of like a hail mary pass for like, hey, we want to do um, you know our sort of Spider Man villains universe. They've been kind of teasing for a while that they're going to do with like well, there was like that Black Cat movie they were talking about and Silver Sable, amongst other things. With this being a massive success, uh, they're probably going to go forward with that. Given their history of, like, you know, coming up with ideas and then not executing them very well, and then as a result, not having any plans to actually go through, um, what do we think is the potential future? Like, what do we think Sony should do and what they'll end up doing with this weird conceit? Well, okay. we know that Morbius is coming. The right, Jared Leto vampire movie. Uh, oh, yes. God. Ugh. I think, honestly, what I think is going to happen, I think this is going to go the same route as the Fox X-Men movies, where they're just going to keep pumping this shit out and people are going to get so much fatigue from it and it's going to get so convoluted and crazy that eventually Marvel will get the rights back and then we won't have it for a while and then they'll then start pumping them out again. I can't see them writing this ship. This is now technically their, what, seventh movie in the Spider-Man universe? I would say seventh attempt at a live-action Spider-Man movie. That's yeah. right. Okay, I'll give you that. Seventh attempt at a live-action Spider-Man universe movie. And out of seven, there's been arguably two, th- maybe three that have been worth a damn, counting Homecoming and maybe the first two Raimi films. Well, yeah, live action, yeah. yeah. But yeah, people are gonna include also into the Spider Verse, like yeah, that's that's number four and it's the number one of those four. No, I, I agree. I think into the Spider Verse that's the thing. That it's so great and they, it gave me so much more hope for like the, potentially like them doing this. And it's a shame that like they released it as we're recording this, it's still in the middle of like that sort of post Christmas um, box office plunge that happened where it's like, hey, let's release eight different big studio movies at once, guys, and it'll be fine. It, it does seem to be the one, like, it's not doing badly, but at the same time, I don't know if it's going to be big enough to where they kind of keep doing sp- into the Spider-Verse movies, and I hope they do. I would okay. so much rather have them do animated Spider-Man movies than this weird villain thing they're doing. But what about you, Jonathan? Honestly, I would say that they'll try to push Morbius and then maybe go to Craven. And, but I will definitely say we will have a Venom trilogy. And if Venom 2 Maximum Carnage works out, I will not be surprised if Sony puts in Tom Holland in the third movie. Because the S in Sony stands for stupid, and they're stupid for money, and they'll be desperate enough to break the MCU indirectly by putting Tom Holland in a movie with Tom Hardy's Venom. Which, that even makes less sense than having Woody Harrelson. It's it's basically, it's Tom Hardy, this 40-year-old, like, fucking investigative reporter, Eddie Brock, being up this, like, high school kid. Like, why? But yeah. at least Peter Parker is dwarfed by Eddie Brock, even in the comics, even if they were the same age. So you can have that, but he also has natural super strength, so they'll make bullshit reasons for it to work. But 
by this, yeah, honestly, by the time we get to Venom three, we'll be done with the MCU Spider-Man movies, and that was the deal for Spider-Man's rental period. Right. It was like it's two Avengers movies and two like standalone Spider-Man movies. So they've gone through half of that at this point. But the thing is, I I wouldn't be surprised if like Jonathan's saying Sony's like, no, we're not going to have you have Tom Holland appear, or it's like, no, we'll let Tom Holland keep appearing in MCU movies, but he's got to appear in a Venom movie. <laughs> And uh, that's, like, the deal with the devil, Kevin Feige. He's like, oh, God fucking damn it, fine. Right. <laughs> Here. <laughs> um, and that just, like Gavin said, it's going to totally break the MCU. So it's like, wait, so Venom and all these other movies in the Sony universe take place in that same universe? Or I would hope, like, honestly, the only crossover I would ever want is if they pull, like, into the Spider-Verse where it's like Tom Holland maybe appears in that universe, like, jumps through. I'd be okay with that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but they're not going to. He's going to go on a school field trip to San Francisco or some bullshit and run amok <laughs> with Venom. That's, I mean, that's literally what's going to happen. Just don't make any more of these. I, I'm sorry, I can't hear you under this pile of $854 million. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I have $100 bills in my ears. Could you repeat that, please? <laughs> well... I'm just going to get in my final. Yeah, well, yeah. go this, ahead with your final thoughts, Adam, on this. This isn't as bad as I expected it to be, but I also expected it to be the worst thing I've ever seen. So it wasn't as bad. There, I think there are some funny I, moments in it. There's some good ideas. Just nothing is is done to the best of that they could have. Like, th- there's no proper execution in this movie. It, it's just a garbled mess of ideas that... It, it just feels like a cash grab movie. They knew by Tuttle alone they were going to make money on it. So why pay any attention or give care to dynamic characters or cohesive plot? And that's exactly what happened here. Jonathan. As we said, this is not the worst movie of the year. It's not even bottom 10. It's close, but not there. Honestly, there's a contingency of people who actually genuinely like this movie and I feel like they're desperate just to see Venom on screen. Like, we got a better looking Venom than Spider-Man 3. We got a Eddie Brock that was more interesting, I guess. <laughs> but at the price of go through this dreck, just feel sad. Like, it really d- shows no care in the actual creation of this film and that I've seen in even the weakest of the MC movies. Hell, I can even say that in the DCE movies, those those people actually care about the movies. I don't think Ruben Fleischer actually cared about Venom. Like, I don't feel like he did. Because it really doesn't show in any of the actors other than Tom Hardy's performance. You know, and I'd argue that he did. I think Ruben Fleischer did care. I think Sony cared more about getting a product out. Um, just for the fact of the matter that there's rumored, what, almost an hour of footage on the cutting room floor. Well, what, what was said was Tom Hardy was asked... Hey, Tom Hardy, what was your favorite scene to film? And he said, they're all scenes that aren't in the movie. There's like 30 to 40 minutes worth of scenes that aren't in the movie. All of them. Mad puppeteering scenes, dark comedy scenes. You know what I mean? They never made it in. And Sony went after him hard for that. <laughs> yep. Because <laughs> that, that, that is also the weird thing is Tom Hardy, dis- despite like Dark Knight Rises, that feels like sort of an exception to the rule, usually doesn't take like or sort of mainstream big franchise movies. He takes like weirder choices. And this mm-hmm. definitely felt like he was contra- like he did this thing. He's like, all right, fine. I guess I'm contracted to do sequels if this ever makes money, which it won't. And he's like opening weekend. I'm sure he's like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. 
fuck. God yep. damn it. <laughs> damn it. But I'm sorry, Jonathan, we interrupted your final thoughts. Yeah, Go sorry, ahead. buddy. Yeah. I really feel like people who don't like like animated films like and watch Venom and they're okay with uh, having Tom Hardy cartoonishly going around eating people's food and landing in a lobster tank and say this is serious entertainment because it's a live action actor doing it like come on Spider-Man has goofy stuff superheroes have to be goofy at times and it doesn't need to be in drab pseudo self-serious darkness while clashing with dark comedy moments from an accomplished actor go watch yeah. spider-man hell go and watch bumblebee there's other stuff you should be watching the, from this year that actually works it's a blockbuster and it's fun you know what speaking to our last 2018 episode um you want a funnier bad movie watch hurricane heist <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. adam and i had a lot of fun with uh, on our last 2018 episode one of the best movies ever that's the, that's the lesson we all take from this watch hurricane yep. um but i'll just to agree with what you guys have all said but at the same time just this is what we all feared would happen when amazing spider-man 2 was coming out and they were mentioning like oh we're gonna do sinister six movie and all this and all that stuff and luckily that movie failed so much that like okay we have to take a complete course of action that's different from this versus Venom is sort of like the reaping of all the awful, <laughs> horrible hopes that we dreamed of. Like, it's gonna end up, like you mentioned, doing the Morbius movie and all this other stuff. I don't feel like that is really... This is not solid ground to build that on. This isn't a good Iron Man for the cinematic universe to flourish. They're gonna build their universe on the shaky ground, which, like, I agree with you guys. Like, I didn't think it was terrible. I think, especially upon the second watch, there's more entertaining things, especially around Tom Harding and the Venom symbiote that I can see why it would at least be a successful movie, but not necessarily fifth highest grossing movie worldwide successful. Um, it's very convoluted and messy, and you can tell that, like, definitely Ruben Fleischer didn't get a chance to, like, do his weirder stuff. If anything, I wouldn't so mind seeing maybe a sequel where he was given more reign to do what he wanted to do. Probably not going to happen with Sony, but I would see, it was more likely, given that this at least was successful, that Ruben Fleischer and Tom Hardy can actually do, like, the weird horror comedy movie that they kind of saw potential of here. That's the only real silver lining I can get from it being a massive success, is maybe we might get that movie. Yeah, I want to hold your breath. Now, time will tell how wrong I will be. Before we head out of this episode and get to our pick-in for next week, uh, we want to read some feedback. We asked you all via the Facebook and Twitter page for us, at Pod about what were your favorite and least favorite movies of the year. And uh, first we have some friends of the show who I want to share their thoughts on. Uh, Shaquille Lambert, who was a previous guest, says, uh, in terms of favorites, uh, this was the most I've struggled with a best of list because there are too many great things. But I've settled on blind spotting at the top. Glad you're doing it for this episode. Uh, as well as Bodied, If Bill Street Could Talk, Into the Spider-Verse, Infinity War, and Black Panther, among many others. Worst, Gotti runs alongside Book of Henry for my favorite complete and total disaster of the decade. But my actual least favorite movie this year is Assassination Nation, the worst form of trying way too hard with little to actually show for it. Aww. I actually really dug Assassination Nation. That was another divisive one. I heard either you like a love or hate it thing, kind of like Venom. But I absolutely understand why people hate it. Like... It is there on screen. I, I did really love Black Panther. I liked Infinity War. Into the Spider-Verse, definitely. That's one of my favorites of the year. And I really want to see Bodied and If Bill Street Could Talk. If Bill Street Could Talk is the Barry Jenkins movie. 
and Body does the weird, like, rap battle dark comedy uh, from Joseph Kahn. I really want to see both of those. I've heard great things. Uh, you can see it on YouTube now. Uh, Body did, I mean. Right, yeah, Body does. It's the YouTube premium movie, which was kind of weird since that kind of collapsed in on itself earlier this year. <laughs> um, so it's like you can watch it, but there'll be ads, I guess, at some point in the near future. I don't know. It's weird how that's going around. I'm very deadly curious to see Gotti. I kind of want to oh, watch man, Gotti before I've the toyed, I've toyed with it, man. I, Mr. But... John Travolta's favorite fan here, yeah, Adam Thomas. That's why I haven't committed. <laughs> I feel like you need to do a Travolta episode. Nope. Nope, nope, no, 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 no. We've already had two movies featuring John Travolta. That's enough. <laughs> but what about a good Travolta movie? No. <laughs> I think it's only fair we do at least one good Travolta movie at some point. There are a couple, Adam. Even you can admit there are a couple of them. I will give you, like, two. <laughs> that's good enough. Yeah, that's, that's good enough. But so that's I'll good enough for the like show that. that we could do. Uh, <laughs> But uh, Dan Chambos, uh, previous guest, also says, I really liked Predator, but I did not like the Tupac film. Um, one, I believe the Tupac film, I'm not sure oh, what he's talking about. Yeah. came out last so, 2017. It was Borefest. Yeah, which so it doesn't um, technically count for this year. But I, I did see Predator. I liked Predator. I know that got a lot of hate. Um, it's That's another one where I think it definitely has studio meddling that kind of ruined the third act of oh. it. Oh, 100%. I watched that today. That was one of the five. It was so disappointing to me. There were so many lines in that where I was just cringing. Get to the choppers. Oh, get the fuck out of here. I'm not defending that. That was pretty terrible. (laughs) I thought that worked better than in uh, Aliens vs. Predator. I agree. I agree. And then... I'm not even going to repeat the line, but the Tom Jane line to Olivia Munn. Yeah, okay. It, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me with this? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm still in Thomas camp with The Predator. It really helps that it was funny, because that's something that we did not have in Predator since the first two. Even with the choppy editing, I had far more fun with The Predator. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily condone the Thomas Jane Tourette character. I have a lot of problems with that. Um, but I like, like, Keegan-Michael Key and Javante Rhodes and Boyd Holbrook. I think they were a fun part of, like, that whole ensemble. I thought, like, honestly, it's not until really the spoilers for that movie, the big Predator comes out. That's where I yeah, think it really just completely nosedives. And you're like, why the fuck? Especially when yeah. Sterling K. Brown is great in that movie. He's just chewing yeah. up fucking scenery the whole time. He is so awesome. I wish we had more yeah. of him doing that. Instead of, like, also that weird death that he had, where all of a sudden he gets oh, shot yeah, by his own yeah. arm. T- like, what the fuck? I don't know. Casey Gerard, also of previously of the show, at the underscore Casey on Twitter, says, uh, Blind spotting, Venom, Hereditary, Slender Man, Sorry to Bother You, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, I'm Not a Witch. Oh no, my best ofs got mixed with my worst ofs, and now no one can tell them apart. I think it's pretty mm. easy to tell them apart, buddy. I think you just kind of did every other one. <laughs> Man, Hereditary. What a stinker. <laughs> hereditary is my number two movie of the year. Please watch Hereditary. Totally Collect has been snubbed far too long. Hereditary is my favorite movie of the year. I, I still, like, I said this, like, the on our last 2018 episode. It stayed up there as my favorite. I just, and I've seen it another time since uh, that episode. I, I fucking love Hereditary. Have you seen that one yet, Adam? I have not. I have not. It's coming on Prime this month, though, or next month, so I will finally be able to see it. 
Yeah. I'm excited. But yeah, uh, sorry to bother you was another one of my favorites that he mentioned. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom's fucking garbage. It is... Oh, I'm sure it is. I didn't even bother. Why? Welcome okay. to Jurassic World. Oh, yep, with the Jeff Goldblum cameo that's literally him in like for five minutes inside of a courtroom set. Ugh. <laughs> it's so great. That sounds horrible. <laughs> Um, to move on, uh, Brian Kane says, personal bests of the year were A Star Is Born, Hereditary, and part two of the Godzilla tri- uh, anime trilogy on Netflix. Venom broke my spirit in a way that I still cannot describe to this day. And I'll, I can attest to this because I actually saw Venom with Mr. Kane. Um, he's, he's a local friend of mine. And literally as we were walking out, I was just trying to say like, so man, well, that movie, right? It was pretty bad. He's like, I don't. I don't even want to talk right now, man. <laughs> he fucking goes to his car. And I'm like, oh shit, dude. Why wow, that really broke your spirit that much? But no, I, I really did love A Star Is Born as well. And I actually haven't seen the second part of the Godzilla anime thing. Uh, ditto. Like, I, I loved a, a Star Is Born. I really was dreading because we kept seeing trailers for it in front of every movie for six months. Mm-hmm. It was... Sometimes, also, like, twice in a row, we would see trailers with. Yeah. Like, I was really afraid of uh, Bradley Cooper's direction. Like, oh, I trusted Lady Gaga. Because I know that with her theatricality, she could act. Like, I believe that she could act. And she would write some good songs. Turned out she wrote some really great songs to perform awesomely. But I was not expecting how good of a movie it was. Like... I haven't seen any of the other Star uh, iterations. I have not seen all of the other iterations of the Star is Born in full. But from what I've heard, it really is a really good remake of the previous one with Chris Christopherson and uh, uh, Barbara Streisand. Oh, yeah. It's like the good version of that terrible one. <laughs> yes. I completely agree with that. Um, I actually, I watched all of the Star is Borns in preparation for that one. And I'd say it's like my second favorite of them. I still prefer the Judy Garland one slightly more because that's just like a bigger, larger production, and I think it's like her best performance she's ever done. But I, I did really dig A Star Is Born. Um, I like the the way that I agree. I think Cooper made a strong sort of director's act, actors director's turn for that, and it's all full of great like Sam Elliott and Gaga and all of them. I think it's it's a really good showcase for all of them, and you know she's probably gonna win an Oscar in some venue for either the song or her performance, which she deserves. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Once again, Adam's line, I haven't seen it. I did see part one of the anime Godzilla thing, and I really liked it. I haven't gotten around to part two yet, though. Same, so. yeah. yeah. Adrian Cardenas says, Hereditary, A Quiet Place, and Upgrade would be some of my favorites. Death Wish, Winchester, and Apostle were absolutely terrible, in my opinion. Oh. Okay, I'll be quick on Apostle. I seem to be the only one who likes it. <laughs> it's actually a really good take on religious fundamentalism in a secluded cult scenario. Mm-hmm. I just think a lot of people uh, know Gareth Evans from The Raid and just expect him to do more Raid movies. You g- give it a try. It is a Netflix movie. I've been meaning to watch that one. I, I ha- I'm definitely interested in it. Upgrade would uh, definitely be high on my yeah. list. Yeah, I think you made this joke, Jonathan, before it came out that like uh, like Venom felt like it would be the um, Asylum bad remake of Upgrade. Yeah, that yes. makes sense. Yeah, it's a good yes. way to look at it. Yeah. Down to Logan Marshall Green and Tom Hardy are like doubles. Logan Marshall Green's like not as muscly and burly, but they look very similar. <laughs> God, I didn't think of it that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Upgrade is good Venom. Yep. 
um, that, that one, especially, like, if you're a fan of, like, great, like, sci-fi um, actioners, it, it, it reminds me a lot of, like, a modern-day sort of RoboCop as well. But mm-hmm. it's on, like, a smaller budget, but it's it's so great. It's definitely one of my favorites of the year as well. And then also, Winchester is Garbage. That was one oh, of the worst, oh, for yeah. sure. For, that's the one I forgot. That came out pre-Black Panther. That's yeah. how long this year's been. Oh, yeah. my God. <laughs> oh, okay, even more context. It came, it came out the same weekend as Super Bowl Sunday, and everyone was talking about the Cloverfield Paradox, and no one talked about Winchester. That is how forgettable it is, and it is in my bottom ten. That's yep. another thing of lasting that log of being one of the worst movies I've seen in the year. It was the fuck you, it's February movie. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then Kara Holden rounds up her feedback uh, by saying some obvious faves were Infinity War, Black Panther, Love, Simon, Incredibles 2, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Some that I was genuinely surprised to like were Overlord, Into the Spider-Verse, because it's Sony, Black Klansman, House with a Clock in Its Walls, Crazy Rich Asians, some I was disappointed by, Hotel Artemis, Tomb Raider, Sicario 2, Venom, was hoping it would be worse so it could be more enjoyable, and Christopher Robin, and then some that were obviously bad, 1517 to Paris, Night School, Truth or Dare, It's No Wish Upon, The Predator, and Death Wish. Um, any of those spark your fancy there, Jonathan? Oh, oh, Love, Simon. This is the movie that people overlooked in April. I was surprised that this YA romantic comedy movie touched me in a way because this focuses on simon he's in the closet and he knows that there's someone else in school that is also in the closet and it's all about him trying to find out who this person is and it's a really touching story and it's in my top 10 and uh yeah car had to bring up the the old decrepit elephant in the room the 15 to 17 of paris is a piece of garbage and is the absolute mm-hmm. worst movie i've seen in theaters that i can think of Ouch. Clint Eastwood not just made a movie that covered a very short a historical moment of four men uh, taking down a terrorist on a train, but also brings down character actors who are well-known for comedy and making those drab and annoying people. And then the second half of the movie just has these people going around Europe on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I uh, I dug Infinity War, of course Black Panther. I haven't seen Love Simon. Um I think Incredibles 2 was kind of weak. It, to me it was just a Pixar sequel. And Man of the Wasp, I liked it enough. It, it fell into Thor the Dark World territory with me oh. a little bit. Oh, we we're going to fight Adam cuz <laughs> I said a little bit. I liked it enough. I liked oh, it more I... than Thor the, Thor the Dark World. I haven't seen any of the ones that uh, she said she was surprised to like, and I want to see all of them. Yeah, Overlord especially was very overlooked. I gotta see that. And then that's about all I've seen on this list, man. I I didn't even bother with Sicario 2. I love Sicario. It was my favorite movie of the year that year. But uh, I just, I don't want to see Sicario 2. I don't want to see it ruined. It has moments. I'll give it that. And it uses uh, the girl from the last bad Transformers movie, in an interesting way. Like, yeah. I have to be that specific. Because mm-hmm. Bumblebee is actually good. Uh, but, you know, while you're talking about this, Jonathan, what, just rattle off rapid fire some other ones that we maybe haven't mentioned here that you would sure. recommend to people or not recommend. Like, just okay. Some, yeah. So, yeah, some quick recommendations. Uh, Tully, the uh, Charlize Theron pregnancy movie. You were never really here. The wa- the dark Walking Phoenix movie. Annihilation, the movie no one saw. Thoroughbreds, Paddington 2. 
RBG, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, documentary. That was yeah. good. I saw that one. That oh, was good. A Private War. This one actually is uh, one that people should check out. It's uh, with Rosalind Pike. She plays a uh, reporter who loses her eye in war and continues going through war reporting. And some of the bad recommendations. Life of the Party. Melissa mm-hmm. McCarthy at her worst. Oh, no, the worst the worst movie of the year for me, hands down, is Happy Time Murders. I saw that, too, and I will definitely agree. That is fucking the lowest level garbage. The lowest level garbage. I like, did not get a single chuckle out of it. Even even a chuckle is in my, I can't believe they're fucking doing this. There was one chuckle I had, and it's just a bit where, for some reason, Melissa McCarthy is snorting up sugar, and she yeah. is in a bathroom, and she hears gunshots, and she gets up, and it turns out she was in, like, a puppet-sized bathroom. So right. she like hits her head. That's the one joke that worked for me. And that's Ugh. a super long 90 minutes. I will say the only other movie that I think is worse is the Day of the Dead remake because that technically oh, came out in January. It's way worse. Well, it, not about way worse, but it's worse. Yeah, because well, yeah, it's really just defiling George Romero's corpse by just ruining that movie. And we've talked about that previously. Uh, it's terrible. But just to briefly mention some that Jonathan, I agree with a lot of what Jonathan, those that he mentioned, is like, there were a few I haven't seen. But um, amongst really good ones, uh, the favorite, uh, the Rachel Weisz, Emma Stone, like, period piece, dark comedy. I loved that movie. So fucking good. Uh, Widows, uh, the big all-star cast Steve McQueen movie, I fucking loved. Um, Mandy, I know Adam has seen, we both fucking did. Oh, that yeah, movie. I loved it. I dug that movie. Yeah, absolutely. So good. Uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, You Will Cry, the Roger, the Mr. Rogers documentary. Eighth Grade's the best horror movie that isn't a horror movie, about just, like, living in 8th grade. The Bad Times of the El Royale I thought was really underlooked when it came out. Uh, Game Night I thought was really good. And Buster Scruggs. B- Buster Scruggs, I really like. Jonathan wasn't as big of a fan, I'm aware no, of. No, I was not. Mm-hmm. No, you were not. Um, uh, Three Identical Strangers was a really good documentary, too. Um, Searching, that was a really surprising one. The John Cho um, screen life sort of like mystery oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Really? I gotta see that one, then. I, I really dug that one. That surprised me. Oh, ditto. That was... It's... It's the best that we can get out of those unfriended movies. Yeah. Um. Someone mentioned Crazy Rich Asians. That was a really big surprise to me. Also, A Simple Favor, the Anna oh. Kendrick, Blake Lively, like, murder mystery movie that's also a comedy. So much fun. That's a really good one. Um. Also, you know, on Netflix, watch Cam, the, the Netflix horror movie that's about a cam girl who gets her account hacked into. Really great under-the-radar horror movie that came out this year. Um, and then I mentioned some of the worst, but also, um, no one mentioned it. Fuck Crimes of Grindelwald. Fuck that garbage. Oh, yeah, I would imagine. I I didn't want to mention it because I wanted to bring up stuff that people probably overlooked. But yeah, that ruined anything that I wanted to see out of this Fantastic Beast franchise. But more importantly, as we all mentioned before, go see Hurricane Heist. The true savior of 2018. (laughs) Yep. The unsung hero. But thank you for all that feedback, um, and we hope you take some of those recommendations seriously. Um, But thanks also to Chris Oliver for the music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarda for the art used in our show. She accepts commissions at fiverr2rs.com slash eescarda. And then you can find us, as we mentioned, on Twitter and Facebook at dedbpod. Also at Double Edge Double Bill at Gmail, you can find us there. Uh, I'm also on my own individual account at Not The Who's Tommy on Twitter, and I do writing over at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com. I will have also put out, by the time this comes out, a review of another one of my worst movies of the year. Welcome to Marwin. It's oh, garbage. Oh, God. Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. It's, it's Robert Zemeckis hitting an absolute bottom of the barrel low. 
Um, and also, we recommend you subscribe to us on iTunes, rate and review us to give the show more visibility. And Jonathan, plug yourself. Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Jonathan Habs Mikhail, H A B S and Boy, T S and Tower, E S and Edward, M I C H A E L. Jonathan's with a Y, not a J. And you can also find me on Twitter at black underscore gendo, black spelled normally, underscore G-E-N-D-O. I retweet political stuff and anime stuff. And I'll definitely post out my list of the entire year and film that I've watched. So check out for that by probably within the week of the release of this episode. Before you go, Jonathan, before we all go, we have to do our picking. So, very quickly, as we mentioned, uh, we are doing our picks for next week's episode, where I have the two bad movies and Adam has the two good movies for our topic next week, which, you know, we're going to be in the middle of January by the time the episode comes out, and we decided, hey, you know what? January is considered a dump month, but there are good movies that come out in January, along with the bad mm-hmm. ones. And keep in mind, by the way, that we're doing this by, like, what had a wide release that was mainly released in January, not, like, Oscar movies that came out wider or anything like that, and going by United States releases. Right. Yes. yes. That's, those yes. are all the caveats for that. But now uh, Adam has his two good movies. I have my two bad ones. And Jonathan will go ahead and pick a number between 1 and 10 for both our two choices. So first for Adam's two good choices, Jonathan, 1 and 10. I'm going to go with lucky number 7. At number nine, I have City of God. Okay. Have you ever seen that, Thomas? I have not. I've heard many things about City of God. Never uh, it's seen a it. good one. It takes, it's about uh, basically children, gangs, and the favelas in Rio. and It's something. <laughs> it's a good one. What was your other choice? At number two, I had Tremors. Hmm. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. The Tremors, yeah. It was actually like the first movie of the 90s, technically. Now for my two bad choices. Let's go with number three. All right. At number four, I had um, a curious little movie that kind of predicted where a certain franchise it was ripping off would go. I have 2004's Torque, starring Ice Cube and Adam Scott. Oh, no, that is so bad it's good. It's going to be fun. Oh, boy. Exactly why I chose it, Jonathan. Good eye. Fuck. (laughs) And then at number seven... I had one that I personally liked, but I know has a very divisive reception. 1994's Cabin Boy, starring Chris Elliott. I like Cabin Boy. It's it's terrible, but it's one of those good, <laughs> terrible movies. It, 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 it has its charms, for sure. Yes, I agree. So, stay tuned for when we'll talk about City of God and <laughs> Torque <laughs> next week. Alright, uh, but uh, thank you, Jonathan, for dis- participating and doing that pick. Oh, no problem. It's my favorite part of the of the podcast. You know, other than, you know, film criticism, discussion, camaraderie. <laughs> all, the, all those little caveats that we do. But on that note, uh, we want to once again wish everybody a happy new year and uh, make sure those hangovers aren't too bad for you. Happy new year, everybody. Drink a lot of water. <laughs>